previously on Transformer Chronicles. I'm not going to get too military on you guys, but if he's going to be all, uh, okay, I'm going <laughs> to, yeah, I'm back in the war. Here's my name, rank, and salt, serial number. And then Laser Beak was like, here's a laser by your foot. Okay, I'll do whatever you want. <laughs> really? You haven't read his shoe four yet, have you? No, I haven't. All I'm saying uh-huh. is that there, there's an out. I, 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 here's what I wrote. I said, I will rescind this if next issue, it turns out, spark plug poisoned the Decepticons. How will Delvin's bold stance play out? Will the Autobots defeat their ancient enemies in a final battle? Does the last issue of the limited series mean that this podcast will be over with almost before it begins? No! What is O's family life like? These questions and more will be answered as we cover issue number four of Marvel's The Transformers. Transformers Chronicles, The Marvel Years. Hello, and welcome back to Transformers Chronicles. In case you're new to the show, let me tell you what this thing is all about. We're going for a wild crack learning about the awesome, wacky world of the Transformers United States version. We promise we will get to the UK comics at a later date. But for this podcast, we will stick to the US comics. Either way, the podcast is absolutely guaranteed to be, you guessed it, more than meets the eye. But I'm not coming on this crusade alone. First, we have the founder of the Longbox Crusade, the novice to the Transformers world, the seeker of the Matrix of Knowledge, Pat Sampson, DJ Christatos. Pat, welcome to the show. And I have a question for you. What has changed in your life since last episode? Well, since last episode, it's been a while since we recorded. So I would say the weather. It is quite wintry is the best way to say it where I am and where Jonathan is, I think. Uh-huh. Um, that, that, has there ever been, has, is there an issue where the Transformers go to snow? Do they put on, like, jackets? Well, I mean, Do they have, like, you know... <laughs> I don't, I don't think know. they need them. Like when G.I. Joe goes to the... They, they do go to Antarctica, but it strangely does not snow there. But we'll get to that later in this issue. In this issue? That's true. Yes. Yeah. What, what, what do I mean? I'm not, am I reading something different? All right. <laughs> no. I must have read the wrong book. <laughs> Did you read the G.I. Joe silent mm-hmm. issue again, That's Pat? That's my favorite. <laughs> it's quick. You don't have to read yeah, as many exactly. bubbles. I can fly through that one pretty quick. Anything else other than, um, you know, freezing your tootsies off there? Has anything else changed for you? I'm interested. Tell me your life, Pat. We have time. Come the snow and the cold, there comes a lot of other issues that come along with that, like my furnace not working, my tire blew, and sad, sad story. So I don't want to get, I don't want to turn this down. Oh, jeez. Sounds like Mm -hmm. a country song, you know? Mm -hmm. We can get a guitar going for you. Yeah. No? Okay. Next up, we have our Transformers expert. The lesser half of American comics. Hi, Maggie. The provider of knowledge, Jonathan Schaefer Hames. John, talk to me. What has changed in your life since the last episode? And you can't say that it's cold in here. There must be some burrows in this atmosphere. You can't say that. Well, it is cold. There's more snow than there should be. And we're very hardy people in Wisconsin, but we're getting to the uh, end of our rope here. I had a lot of stuff happen since the last episode. I lost my job, but then I found a new job. And uh, Maggie started a new job, and uh, things are going pretty great. Also, Maggie and I are going to branch out from our standard married with comic stuff. 
But you'll have to listen till the end of the episode to find out what I'm talking about. Oh. Zelvin, what's changed in your life? Man, not much. It has been pretty steady at here in lovely Charlotte. Oh, it hasn't been that lovely, but like I can't complain at all about any weather. You know, talking to two Wisconsinites, we already discussed this, and, and the stuff that will never make the show. But still, I mean, it's miserable there. It is not miserable here at all. I can walk outside and not get attacked by some wintry creature, which is a good thing. For me, it's been mostly work when I'm not laying in, at the house with a cold, and then also just uh, jujitsu for me. So it's been about the same, but good. I can't complain. I get to talk with you guys. I get to talk about Transformers comic. So I think we're ready to get started. Let's talk Let's about some Transformers. It. Maybe some Autobots, Decepticons. Oh, oh yeah. Buster. Jesse? <laughs> Heck All right. yeah. Let's do that. All right. Well, first, promo break. Let's do that. And then we can uh, get on the chatting. So let's start with that promo break now. The Transformers will return after these messages. Can you believe it, Jay? Young Justice is back. The Cartoon Network show from five years ago? Uh, no, yeah, uh, that too. I, I, I mean the comic book. Oh, cool. A comic book based off the Cartoon Network show? No, yeah, I mean that too, but but not oh, that. The 1998 Peter David run? No, yeah, uh, kind of. I mean, oh, this is going to get confusing. Wait, 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 wait. Are you trying to say that there's a brand new comic book series written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Patrick Gleason, along with a new season of the animated show on the DC Universe streaming app, and a digital first comic that fills in the gaps between seasons two and three? Yes. I mean, yes. Sounds like we need a podcast to keep all this straight. <laughs> That's what I've been trying to say. Well, say it. The new podcast, Everyone Loves Young Justice, will spin out of Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, as a sister podcast, following the adventures of Tim Drake and his new team, Young Justice, with members like Superboy, Impulse, Wonder Girl, Arrowette, a Red Tornado, the Justice Cave, Miss Martian, Blue Beetle, Shazam, the Super Cycle, Ginny Hex, Teen Lantern, Jay, Jay! What? <laughs> One thing at a time, man. Oh, th- sorry. We will start right where it all began in the pages of the 1998 Peter David run. And we will alternate between that and the new Brian Michael Bendis 2019 run while also discussing the DC Universe animated series and tie-in comics. We are part of the BatmanUniverse.net podcast network. We can be found there or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're going to cover all aspects of Young Justice. Man, I love Young Justice. I know. Everyone does. Oh, I get it. (sighs) We now return to the Transformers. Welcome back. The issue we will be covering is Transformers Issue 4. Here's John with the cover description. The cover of Transformers Number 4 says, as all of them do so far, number whatever, in this case 4, in a four-issue limited series, has the Transformers and more than meets the eye underneath it, the title and subtitle. To the left, Marvel had their little boxes that have character in it. In this case, it is Megatron. And below that, in block font the Autobots last stand with an exclamation point. The point of view of the reader, if we had a camera and was taking this picture that exists, we'd be standing behind Megatron and Ravage, who are right in front of us and approaching some Autobots that are in center left of the picture, grouped together. Those Autobots are Optimus Prime standing in front of Huffer and Blue Streak, and Mirage is standing to their left and looks stourly towards Soundwave, who is diving towards him. 
but is also on the receiving end of a blast from Optimus Prime's gun. Buzzsaw and or Laserbeak is to the left of Soundwave and is also diving down, and below them is one of the Seeker planes, but in robot form also diving towards the Autobots. And that is this cover. Sweet. So let's rate it. For those of you who are new to the show, we here at Transformers Chronicles rate stuff on a scale of 1 to 10, just like the tech specs from the Transformers toys. 1 being the lowest, 10 being the highest. Let's start with Pat. What do you think, Pat? Let's transform it. Rate All right. You know, there, there's a lot of action going on in this one. It's well drawn, and it makes me want to open it up and read to see what's going to really finally happen in this issue. I've read all three. I'm ready for the fourth one to get the final conclusion. So let's open it up. So I'm going to give it a 8 out of 10. Pat, I swear I can't get on the same page what? with you guys. I'm like, oh, this cover's awesome. And you're like, oh, cartoon face. And I'm like, oh, this cover's pretty good. And you're like, eh, it's not as good. As the... I wasn't a fan of this cover. I didn't like the perspective. I got the idea of it because it definitely made the Autobots look like they were in trouble. But there's something about the perspective that I didn't quite get. Like, I was definitely interested in the artist who drew it. Um, and I'm looking at the cover credits and I'm spoiling it a little bit. Because you can say Excuse me, um, probably. Yeah, uh, maybe. It's Mark Teixeira. And you can see his name signed on yeah. the back of Megatron. Yes. The first time that I heard the name Mark Teixeira was from Ghost Rider. He used to draw Ghost Rider in the 90s. And, sure. and me and my cousin, we were huge, or he was a huge fan of Ghost Rider. And so I remember him drawing Mark Teixeira, the Danny Ketch uh, version of Ghost Rider. That's where I remember the name Mark Teixeira. So it was, it was pretty cool that he drew this cover. I just wasn't a huge fan of the perspective, but I think that Optimus Prime firing the laser rifle towards Soundwave kind of made it more dynamic. But I overall wasn't the hugest fan of it. For Of the four covers we've done, to me, it was the worst of the four, and I gave it a five yeah. out of ten. Do you think it's because of like the white background? I think it's more of just the way that they had the Decepticons diving in. It was very much like what happened in the book. I know that it's Megatron and Ravage and maybe Skywarp, Soundwave, and Buzzsaw, but it's kind of hard to see that if you're selling the book yeah, to somebody, I, I you know? And then, again, in the book, the Autobots were trapped. And so they, and it wasn't that many of them, and so they were surrounded, but it doesn't make for very dynamic to see that Mirage is just holding his left arm as opposed to firing his missile that he has sitting there in the missile launcher. I think it could have been done maybe a little bit better. Easy for me to say I can't draw, but just my opinion on it. What do you think, John? I'm with Pat. Eight out of ten. Aha. I've kind of been gauging these ratings of these four based just on themselves. You know, the miniseries itself. Moving forward, it'll have to be a little more broad. But this one isn't as good as the first one for me, but it's better than the second and third mm -hmm. ones. I like that this one actually does have a background, even though it is mostly white. There's a couple of clever things. It foreshadows the characters that are going to be featured in this, as well as Mirage holding on to his left arm is a nice little nod to thing that's going to happen later. Yeah. Especially since the only Decepticon you really get to see in full is Ravage. I like it. I think it's a really clever move. And if you can't, as you say, can tell who these are, you could still walking by in the stand see that they're robots and they're flying down at the other robots and it's their last stand and we better see what happens. I think that uh, we have done a good job in talking about the cover. I am going to be petty and hold a grudge against the two of you for being against me on it. Fair. But 
Um, but I'm going to, you know, try and rise above and not let it seep out uh, throughout the rest of the show. Uh, at least, you know, do you guys that I, favor. I have a feeling so, maybe, Delvin, you might turn your tide around just like you might be doing in this issue. <laughs> Whatever, Pat. You suck. Here's Pat with the credits for the issue. And it says here in quotations that I should give credit to Mike's Amazing World for being awesome and great and stuff. Uh, so I just did that. Definitely. Well, thank you, Delvin. This issue is, of course, from Marvel. It's got a cover date of March 1985, but it was on sale December 4th, 1984. Ooh. With a cover price of 75 cents. Editor was Bob Budiansky. Writer is Jim Salakrip. Penciler, Frank Springer. Our first inker is Ian Aiken. Second inker is Brian Garvey. Letterer is John E. Workman Jr. He's got a lot of names there. He's the reason why Prince and Madonna only got one name. Because he <laughs> has all the, all the other names. <laughs> he took them all. <laughs> I want to be Madonna Smith. Nope. John took it. Oh, well, speak. Don't even get me started about that Mellencamp guy. <laughs> Speaking of some really cool one name bands, we got Colorist Nelson. Can't live without your love and affection. You got that one. <laughs> or if you want to be better, my rifle, my pony, and me. I don't think I heard. I only know that one song from them. No, that's Rick Nelson from Rio Bravo. Singing with uh, Dino. Dino? Well, I know Dino. Dean oh, Martin, not the know. Dino not. from the eighties. Colorist is Nelson Yum Yum Todd. Yes. Yum Yum Yum. Yes. Like, <laughs> yum Yum. The cover credits go to artist Mark Texian. Tashera. See, I heard Tashera. you say it, and I'm still gonna screw it up. Oh, good. Like, it's it is a uh, Hispanic name or Mexican name. Tashera. There we go. Thanks, Pat. Well, let's talk about the synopsis, I guess. Time to make the donuts. Time to make the donuts. Donuts. It is a world transformed where things are not what they seem. It is the world of the
The Last Stand. Aboard the Ark, everyone is stunned at the news that Sparkplug Witwicky has seemingly betrayed all by giving the Decepticons the fuel conversion they needed. Panicked, Sparkplug and his son attempt to escape, but when Jazz blocks their path with a wall of flame, Sparkplug suffers a heart attack. He is rushed to the hospital by Ratchet and Buster. Huffer tells Optimus Prime about a discovery he made in the Ark's memory banks. Just after the ship crashed, its barely functional computers detected the Decepticon shockwave arriving on Earth in pursuit. With the last of its power, the Ark modified five Autobot warriors to combat him, thus creating the Dinobots. They travel in a shuttle to the Savage Land, that's Antarctica, to confront Shockwave, at which point contact was lost. Huffer has Ratchet dispatched a probe to search for the lost Dinobots. At the hospital, Sparkplug undergoes emergency treatment and dreams of his army service in Korea, where he was forced to repair the North Korean vehicles. He further recalls sabotaging those vehicles. With no new fuel sources forthcoming, all the Autobots sacrifice their remaining fuel resources to Optimus Prime, Huffer, Ironhide, Blue Streak, and Mirage. These five prepare to fight the Decepticons within the volcano that the Ark has crashed into as the Decepticons arrive to destroy the Autobots once and for all. In the Savage Land, which is Antarctica, Huffer's probe has found something and starts to dig it out until a giant purple hand crushes it. Although the Decepticons begin to win the battle by virtue of their greater numbers, at the apparent moment of victory, the Decepticons all fall, writhing in internal agony. As he reveals the buster at the hospital, Sparkplug had corrupted the fuel he provided to the Decepticons, and they are now poisoned. Optimus Prime proclaims the debt that they and the entire world owe to Sparkplug Witwicky. But suddenly, a gigantic blast from above knocks out all the Autobot troops, and Shockwave stands supreme. Not the end. Oh, oh my. Let's talk about yeah. the book. We're going to do a round robin, a uh, good, bad format where we allow the show, bring up something good or bad from the comic, and everyone discusses. John, good, bad, high, low, whatever you want to call it, what do you got? This one's great. First of all, guys, it's really sad that we've reached the last issue in the mm -hmm. series. So after all of our hard work, this podcast is mm -hmm. going to end now. I know. We put a lot of work in this, dude, and, and I'll have it end so quickly. <laughs> I thought it was going to last longer, but... Yeah, me too. It's When we got together and did this, it sounded like much more of an undertaking exactly. than what it eventually was. But I'm glad we managed Ryan Daly on mm -hmm. here at least once, because if we would have put that off, we wouldn't have had a chance. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> okay but about this issue <laughs> there's a kind of an urban legend which has a basis in reality that apparently the supposed last panel of the alternate one that if this was going to end as a miniseries has been shown but it's been shown to not have been the same artist it was written afterwards it's unknown whether or not an alternate ending was actually penciled. It probably wasn't, because obviously at this point, when they did this, they knew that they were moving on. I actually have a question for you about that and wanted yeah. to test your knowledge and see if you knew. Like, was there a certain point where they decided that the book was going to be, you know, a go, that they were going to extend it to issue five and beyond? Do you, do you know that, John? I don't know that. This miniseries was released bi-monthly. So they had a lot of time to get the sales figures. And I imagine by the time the second one was out, Transformers was the most popular thing out there. So that around that time, I'd imagine they made that decision. It was fairly early on, I know. Okay, cool. But about this issue itself, 
My man Jazz, one of my favorite Transformers, makes his debut and nearly kills two humans with fire. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, why is he doing this? This is an example of uh, the Transformers not quite figuring out humans yet. It's like, is your father malfunctioning? He's not a machine. He's flesh and blood. I don't follow. I have to take him to a doctor. Oh, look, I don't know what that is. It's all I can do to remember not to step on you all the time. I mean, some of you stick to walls. I don't know what that is. Do you guys have a good copay here? <laughs> in Oregon? Probably. Here's a very important thing revealed in this issue. O's dad calls him O. And O's dad owns a bar called Mr. O's. So there's only one possible explanation, which is that O's name is O. O. It's magic. <laughs> you know. You know. Never believe it's not so. I was wondering that too. I was wondering if what kind of is it a bar? Is, is Mr. O's a bar? Is it something else? I think a bar and grill, okay. probably. Oh, looks like a guy who uh, gets most of his sustenance off of hamburgers served at a bar. Yeah, I was pretty rotund. He's at, he's had a few. Let's let Pat chime in here. Pat, you got a higher low? Um, you know, I got. Let me look at my notes here. I had a couple things that I was. I had a question on: Is why does Jazz use his fire gun? Just to demonstrate that yeah. he has it, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I would think that's a good way to, to demonstrate his because they go out of their way to describe whatever weapons that they're firing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Jazz has a flamethrower, but I wasn't a fan of that. It just, it, oh, of course, you know, this still being that relatively, you know, they're new to humans so that they were upset that he apparently aided in a bet at the enemy. I could, I can understand that, but it definitely mm -hmm. seemed like a bad guy action by jazz. I wasn't a fan of it. It helps me just to think that they just don't quite get humans. Yeah. If they were just little robots, they probably wouldn't have been in as much danger. True, true. That's a good way to look at it. I just find it odd, weird, but I wish they made real costumes like the one Ol's dad had back in the day. Because that right. was awesome He's costume. got stuff that would make modern day cosplayers jealous as hell. Have you guys seen those clips? Like, there's some clip for Halloween. These kids get, like, transform those. into, like, Optimus Prime and the Starscream. I saw that and was like, yeah, that's what? Cool. You raise a good point, Pat. Plus, what I'm wondering is, how did he manage to get a costume that looks mm -hmm. so close to Optimus Prime? How did he get a good enough look at Optimus exactly. Prime? Was that where Optimus went in issue three was to <laughs> Mr. O's? <laughs> <laughs> I heard they have the best beer in town. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Man, if I had a costume like that back when I was a kid, we had those cheap plastic front covers and the rubber band around your head, and then you had to slit. <laughs> With a your, picture. Your lips would get caught, <laughs> cut on the, or your tongue would try to stick your tongue through, you get your. With a picture of the thing you were supposed yes. to be on your chest. <laughs> so people knew what you were. Plastic. Oh, oh you're Popeye. All right. Oh, you're Cody kind of a. Uh, Boy, fun, fun, fun. But, Delvin, what about you? Uh, if I have a high, like, the very first high, the, the first thing I thought of was the ending. The ending was great. And for a couple of reasons, because the Autobots had gone through it uh, in this series. They, they have gone through it, and they have been behind the eight ball the entire time. 
and they finally freaking won. And the last gambit actually paid off thanks to spark plug, you know, coming through, saving the day. And then shockwave just comes in and blows them all the freak away. Like, (laughs) (laughs) they cannot catch a freaking break, but that ending was, was incredible. And it let people know very definitively that this is not the end that we, we have more transformers to go. And that is a, that's a very cool thing. So I I was impressed with the ending. I was thinking the ending was kind of, eh, at least the buildup to the end. Because it sounded like it seemed like they had to kind of cut it short so they could get that final thing in the end in there. You know what I mean? That's the way yeah. I, I, I just I, I disagree. I mean, we're I mean, we've got like seven full or eight full pages worth of action in which almost every one of these Autobots and Decepticons does something. But it seems like just the shockwave and, and the story behind it, it's kind of thrown in. So then to continue, oh. you know, what would interest me would be how they want it to wrap up exactly. the storyline. Yeah. yeah. If it were a four or four issue limited series, would, were the Transformers just going to be stranded on Earth? And yes. then they save the day and they just beat the Decepticons and yay, Autobots. It, it was interesting because you can tell as soon as they introduce that storyline about Shockwave and the mm-hmm. Dinobots, it's like, okay, they are, they're just bringing this up in issue four or four. Clearly, there's going to be more, which is great. Well, Shockwave uh, was referenced or at least alluded to in issue one. Correct. You know, when Megatron says to them, one of our mightiest is missing. Correct. Uh, that's who he's referring to. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. What I want to know is where the hell did the Dinobots come from? And nobody thought to say, hey, where's Grimlock? Because supposedly the Ark repaired them out of Autobots that were lying around in the Ark. But in the first issue where all of the Autobots stand up and state mm. their name and function, they don't say anything about, you know, we're missing a bunch of us. And the really powerful ones, too, they're a complete surprise. Yeah. See, and that's where I'm thinking. But there's got to be... Something's just not right with this. I remember you mentioning that they retconned the number of Autobots because they listed a pretty definitive number of how many Autobots and Decepticons there were. But that changed. It does, and it changes again later on. I think at 14, we reveal that there were other Autobots waiting as well. That's just to explain how the new toys get to show up. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I guess there could be retcons. Sure, sure. So uh, I, I guess I'm not super mad at them about it, but as far as, you know, that tight concrete storytelling, maybe it could have been better. But, <laughs> but yeah. So, John, do do you have another uh, high or low? Uh, yeah, I, I think we all want to talk about everybody's two favorite pages in comics. It's where Megatron decides, OK, I'm all refueled. Let's go see what this uh, what these humans can do. Go ahead, little ones, do your worst. And then they blast him with literally everything and just not a scratch on him. I love that. I loved it. I mean, that was such a power move. Like It really is. It's another I, example of why the Michael Bay movies make absolutely no sense to me. There's no way that the mili- that any Earth military could do anything to these things. Like maybe a ravage or a frenzy or something. Sure, but, but not... To Megatron, Megatron or to Optimus Prime? No, right. absolutely not. I agree. And then on the next page, there's a couple of things before I get to my favorite moment in the entire issue, which I'll talk about more later. But on the top of the page where Megatron is asking what the damage report is, 
There are four Transformers there who have never been seen before. There was one that's working on Rumble and one that's working on uh, Skywarp, and there's two that are hanging out in the background. Yeah, one looks kind of like a fake Megatron. Right. Nobody really knows who they are. People assume that three of them may be Reflectors, which were Decepticons from the cartoon that never appear anywhere in the comics, that they were three that you could send away for that would transform into a camera. Right. They've never been seen before. They show up later in the issue, too. They're laying down deactivated with all the rest of them. I'm wondering if the artist just had a bunch of reflectors toys and he wanted to put them in there. He goes, I sent away from them. I'm drawing these things. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? But then, of course, Starscream finally makes his move. He's much more subtle in these comics than he is in the cartoon, but essentially he just basically like, Megatron has made a mistake. I, Starscream, now lead the... Enough. <laughs> lead the scrappy, and Starscream baby. to the damage report. So, Pat, I have a question okay. from that. You have talked about characterization before. What do you think about like that moment in particular when it comes to a little bit of more characterization between the Decepticons in this case? Um, it, you know, it was all right. I saw it kind of coming. I wish it was a little bit longer of an argument between the two. It was only, what, like two panels and that's it? Yeah, Megatron's yeah. got no time for then, that. You know, he shoots them and then, you know... A couple pages later or whatever, he comes back in and just says, yes, great Megatron, and that's about it. <laughs> he's my he's ranting, and then Starscream comes in and transforms in front of him because Megatron basically must have told him, and you come right back here, what's your fix? I have some more words with you. Well, the thing that I liked about it is I think it was set up pretty well over the last yeah, few yeah. Uh, issues or, or over the series because – Starscream had sniped at him a few times, and, and Megatron, like, he didn't say it out loud, but in his head, it's like, yeah, yeah, keep yep. it up, jerk. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to show you what's going to happen if you keep going. And he and he did. He blasted mm -hmm. him one <laughs> and, and got Starscream to calm the heck down a little bit. The Mirage uh, Ravage story arc had a conclusion. I mean, it's a pretty telegraphed, simple one, but it was kind of nice to see that, or the callback yeah. to it. They had their fight in the first one, and then it... And Mirage finally gets over his, his, I don't know if I want to be a warrior fighting. No, no. Oh, right. These are bad guys yeah. bite my arm off. Uh, right. I'm I'm a good guy. Yeah. That's that's a pretty good incentive to fight the <laughs> bad guy. It's like, you might not want to fight them, but they sure as heck want to fight you. So what are you going to do about that? <laughs> you got anything else? Oh, man. Let's see. It was a great backstory with the reveal of how Sparkplug was yeah. a hero in two wars. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe they just needed a setup to have Sparkplug pass out to him for him to have that flashback back to the war because like he, he was trying to explain it sort of at, you know, from the first page, but the Autobots were kind of like, well, we're really mad. And <laughs> what are we going to do about these, you know, meddling humans? And they're like, screw that. Let's let mm -hmm. me, I'm getting the heck out of here. Like these dudes are crazy. <laughs> Especially since to try to stop him, he put the jazz puts up a wall of fire. So yeah, I think he had the right I, idea I to get the hell out I of there. I can't blame Sparkplug for that. Right? Like, he, I mean, he he protected his son, which is exactly what he's supposed to do. It's like you know what? I tried to help these crazy sons of guns. We're getting the heck out of here. We're this, this is over. So I, I cannot blame Sparkplug for his actions, and I think that um, the storytelling with him. Uh, in particular, in this book, was very well done. Oh, by the way, uh, just a little Easter egg. 
spark plug and the other guy are when they get uh, blown up in the jeep or early on they're on their way to the 4067 mash unit yeah which i is, missed that that's funny i even ten off. I, i've never really watched mash but i do i'd say that uh that reference nice well gentlemen any other highs any other lows i got one more thing which is just that the fact that the tubes of transference are something that is built into the, their spaceship means that the Autobots are well aware at how much they suck at this sort of thing. <laughs> we don't know how, but eventually we're going to reach a point where it's going to be desperate enough that we have to drain half of us so that we can have five of us still ready to go. Yeah, like ultimately... I want to give Optimus Prime credit, but at the same time, it's like, man, you kind of been getting your butt kicked ever since you were revived. I mean, you've been wake, you woke up and you've taken a lot of L's <laughs> in the last four issues. And it's and not it, like it's going to change in the next three, not, not to spoil too much, but it's pretty yeah, obvious no. at the end of this that the Autobots don't exactly start off at a good place in issue five. Yeah, John, don't get ahead of yourself. <laughs> um, forget I said that, Pat. Um, yeah, cool. Oh, I get it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you better get it. You better get it. Gentlemen, any more highs? You know, any I, more lows? I got a high, and it's on, I think we mentioned it before, is the lettering or and the captioning. I really, really like when the Autobots talk, you have that different caption box around them. In their thoughts, too, it shows out, you know, little squares instead of circle circle bubbles for the thoughts. I thought that was really cool and touchy. I like it a lot. I, I really like that you just automatically hear it as a robotic sound just because of how it looks. I, I've been a big fan of that since I was a kid. Yes, I still enjoy that. And I looked for it, too. I, I made an effort to go back and see when the humans talk. You know, the humans talking is just normal mm-hmm. bubbles. When the robots talk, they make sure that they include that special little caption uh, that they're talking. Very but cool I, effect. I really, I really noticed it more when they think to them, you know, when they have the bubble of them, their thoughts, how they do that there, too. It's, yeah. It's just not like the normal human thoughts bubbles. They make them little square kind of things like that. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Well done. Well, Pat, I do want to ask overall. We're at the end of four issues. This is the end of the first arc of uh, Transformers comic books. Do you, do you think that the book has settled down, has slowed down a little bit where you didn't feel too overwhelmed with the characters? I think so. Yeah. I think they brought it down a little bit. I started to know most of the main characters going on, and I like how they brought in some other newer ones. You know, Huffer. I mean, what does that guy do? He sucks is what he does. He's sucks out loud. Head. That's what he does. Like, his head, the thing is like a bucket around. He's like a bucket hoodie. He's like, what does this guy do? He turns into a smaller semi <laughs> than Optimus Prime. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I do think, you know, they're not really throwing a lot, a lot at you now. Because over the last three issues, they did. And uh, the nice thing, too, is we don't have any special guests in there. Like the last issue where Spider-Man was in it, not there was anything wrong with it, but Spider-Man was kind of taking it away from the Transformers story. Uh, again, it was it was an offbeat mm-hmm. story with Spidey. 
and and reading it for the first time, it was you you see why they did it. Oh yeah, like to to try and get more people to read the book, or maybe they already, or maybe they just wanted to get that extra bump to see if they can get some mainstream Marvel folks reading Transformers. But but I agree, I do agree with your assessment that it 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 took a little bit away from the Transformers, and that's what the book is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about you know the big freaking robots. It's not supposed to be about Spidey. I agree with you wholeheartedly. When I was a kid, I loved it. I, it seemed a little silly, much sillier this time. However, I, I liked and still like that the reason the Dinobots transform into dinosaurs is because of the Savage Land being part of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, that I like. makes sense. And they had to do it because I think the original idea was, well, they just were in dinosaur times. No, there was four million years ago. You already said there weren't dinosaurs. Oh, crap. Um, <laughs> the Savage Land, that's in Marvel. Yeah, and that's creative enough. And... They they stuck with that story. And see, that's what I think is I'm more interested in this went, what, 85 issues. Now there's tons and tons and tons of more versions of this. Uh, the story continues in other places and just well, Transformers is still around. It's been in through how many incarnations that it's still around. So there's got to be something here for the story that keeps people going back. It's just not, hey, we're robots. Let's just fight. And that's it. You know, there's some bigger story going on here, and that's what I'm really interested in. I'm like, okay, man, when is this story going to get here where it's going to pull me in and go, okay, now I got you. Just, I'm I'm looking for that fix that I got when I was reading G.I. Joe, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a markedly different change in, in tone starting with the next issue. The art takes a little bit to settle down, but I think you're going to enjoy the next few. With what you just said, Pat, though, I do have a question. How long do you think... Speaking comic book-wise, how long do you think it took you to settle into G.I. Joe comics? I think I was probably, I'd say probably five, six issues in. But G.I. Joe had some really good early issues, but they were kind of all one-shots. I think for me, just, I know you didn't ask me, 10 would be mine first. That was with the first Springfield one was where it really started Mm -hmm. to solidify. Okay. Uh, I'm just, just interested. So... I believe that by issue 10, we will have gone through the second arc. And so I will make sure to yeah. uh, make a note and, and come back and, and see what you think after the second arc. All right. Okay. Now's the time for us to find out who had the touch. Where we talk about which character in the book stood out the most, be it Autobot or Decepticon. You got the touch. You got the power! Yeah! So, Pat, who do you think had the touch for this issue? Who had the touch? Ooh. I'm going to say O's dad for that sweet costume. (laughs) (laughs) O's got the touch. Mr. O's got the power. Mr. O. When all hell's breaking loose, Mr. O's right in the heart of the sun. Nice, nice. Um, Oh, it's my turn now. So I thought for this issue, Spark Plug uh, had the touch. Like the Autobots, I mean, they fought hard, but they were going to lose, period. And if it weren't for what Spark Plug did, then Mm -hmm. like uh, the Autobots I mean even though they all wound up on the ground anyway they would have wound up on the ground without the Decepticons with them Uh, and that is due to uh, 
puny fleshling uh, spark plug. So spark plug had to touch for this See, issue I was, to me. I was going to give John. it to spark plug too, but I figured somebody else would already give it to spark plug. So that's why I went with Mister O. Good instincts, Pat. But Good I have instincts. a question: Does spark plug help them make the you know the fuel or whatever they need the energon? He has not. Okay, so he never developed it. He just said, "Oh, I think I can do it," and just was faking out the. Well, he hasn't had a chance. All he's been able to do so far is the thing he did with the just Decepticons, where in which he made yeah. poison fuel. So he hasn't had any time since he got back because they tried to set him on yeah. fire and gave him a heart attack. Okay. So. I just didn't do it, but does, does he have it in him to do it? Oh, I, I imagine so. If he was able to uh, make a poison fuel that was able to escape the Decepticons' mm-hmm. detection. Okay. Stands to reason that he might be able to do something to help out the Autobots, and maybe he gets a chance to do that. So, John. We had to touch, my friend. I also figured somebody else was going to pick Sparkplug Witwicky, but I had too good of a joke to not pick him anyway. So Sparkplug Witwicky is the best there is at what he does. And what he does is murder North Koreans and Decepticons. Not bad. Not bad of a joke. Not bad of an observation. Because that would be a pretty scary thing if you're driving, you know, that Jeep on the mountain and wait a minute, I don't have brakes and I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so spark plug with Wiki, you got to touch. He has it. He has it. Now, if we have talked about the touch, then somebody had to be out of touch in a segment called Less Than Meets the Eye, where we talk about the character that was the worst in the book and they deserve to be shot with a 35 foot long ray gun. Before we get started, it appears that I owe Sparkplug Witwicky an apology because we found out in this issue that he came through in the last issue in a very big way. So my bad, Sparkplug. I never should have doubted you. And there, Pat, there is my apology. Thank you. Now, let's get started. Who was less than meets the eye to you, Pat? Oh, boy. That's a tough one. Less than meets the eye. You know, I'm going to go with O. (laughs) he doesn't do anything in there it's like the crap scared out of him and then doesn't leave town when warned to good call uh all right giving a break from buster at least (laughs) well that's true yeah okay so john who do you have who's less than meets the eye oh uh starscream that you had your moment and you spent your moment and that was a really stupid thing to do You've been snarky and sarcastic for two issues now. He does have a giant cannon that he's been obsessing over. You know he's just going to shoot you, and he did, which is what he should have probably done to him about a million times on the cartoon and never did. So I should have given Megatron more than meets the eye, but I'm going to still stick with Starscream as less than meets the eye. Yeah, Megatron would have been good for the touch because that he, he had a couple of good power moments in the book where, I mean, he stood up to the humans like, yep, let me see what you got. Rat-a-tat-a-tat-a-tat-a-tat. Nothing. <laughs> you got nothing. Cool. And <laughs> just walks away, then, you know, blows away uh, Starscream for being insolent. And then I think... I feel good. I feel good about myself. I'm yeah. going to blast Starscream and order Ravage to spy on the Autobots. And then, you know, he took out uh, Optimus Prime's arm. So... That was pretty he was bad. Ha- yeah, he was having a good day until uh, he figured out that he was poisoned and wound up on the ground. But 
Anyway, my less than meets the eye. My uh, person who uh, met that criteria was uh, Jazz. I was not a fan <laughs> of what he like. So fire the flame gun, and then like, dude, you didn't have any power as it was, and you're wasting power shooting at a human that made you mad. Ugh, I just thought that was very weak, and so wasn't a big fan of Jazz uh, for doing that. That was mine. Excellent choices, gentlemen. I have no bad things to say about any of your choices. Nice. I have no bad things to say about any of your choices, John. Oh, I got things to say. Especially the... No, I just... <laughs> Do you? <laughs> Especially with the jazz. We don't get to see jazz no. again until issue nine, and the first thing he does there is screw up, too, so... <laughs> or jazz. Now is the time for overall ratings for the book. To recap for the audience, we will honor the old tech specs that came with every Transformers toy and give a rating of 1 to 10, 10 being the best to describe how we felt about this issue. I want to start. Me, me. I will give it an 8 out of 10. It was very good action. I thought it was very good telling a backstory. I was spark plug and also shockwave in the Dinobots. I, I was entertained throughout. I thought it was slightly less quality as for me anyway the storylines of second and third they left it on very good cliffhangers and even though the cliffhanger here was good just a little bit under those but still very good uh what do you think john i agree with you i will give it an eight out of ten gets a bump up at the end for the cliffhanger because between that and the cover for the next issue there's no way i'm not going to read issue five yeah that cover for issue five is that that is a great great cover <laughs> i'm great sure cover. we'll have a lot to say about that one. Oh yeah i don't i don't even want to spoil i don't even know if pat's going to look at it but i i distinctly remember that cover it's great but we're talking about issue four pat what do you think what's your rating for this issue well i am going to give this one a seven less a little bit less than you i thought it was a you know decent mm-hmm. story like i said i felt that it was kind of rushed towards the end because they wanted to, you know, slam this in and go, hey, we got more coming, so don't worry about it. Woo! <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it was all right. A seven. Okay. Pat gives it a seven, and so we were closer on that than we were on the cover, where you guys were completely wrong. That was the first time I did the petty in, in minutes, so I'm, I'm not <laughs> Any final thoughts on issue, fellas? I think overall, the whole series was good. You, you read it all together, it, it turned out really good. I just, oh boy, I couldn't. If you had to wait for this, do you know, you'd have to remember it a lot more having to wait. What'd you say? It was two months between. Yes. And then an even longer time between oh, four and five. Okay. When we get to five, they do a lot of recapping. Man, I, I can't wait to read five because I remember the cover, but I, I want to get that um that refresher on that book. So I'm looking I forward to that. anxious to read five now that I know it's like, okay, the series is done. Now they can open this universe up and let's play. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be cool. It's a, it's a good ride. I'm glad that, we, I mean, we had yeah, to get through the first four for that introduction. I'm glad for it, but I'm definitely uh, grateful for issue five for the very same reasons, mm-hmm. Pat. Mm-hmm. So with that, we will go on a uh, podcast break and let's do that. The Transformers will return after these messages. Grab your bat microphone, it's time to start the show. Check out the Bat Pod with your host, Bill Beer. This was, cucumber this sandwiches. was an issue. <laughs> yes, have you ever had a cucumber sandwich? And his co-host, Joey Galvez. I mean, I like it, you know, cucumber water. Have you ever had that? It's so refreshing. It's, it's, it's 
topic of the week. I really love the Michael Keaton Batman, the Tim Burton Batman. thought you were going to mention Batman and Robin for a minute. <laughs> you know, George Clooney had you at hello or character spotlights. The condiment king was a guy named Buddy Stanley, a, okay. a, a former stand-up comedian. But, you know, stump your co-host segments. Okay, where's your Batman card? Just go ahead and send that to me. Sorry, sorry. And we'll, and we'll rip bit. that up. <laughs> Okay. You can find the Bat Pod on the nerdylegion.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, Google Play, and we are now on Stitcher. The Bat Pod is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Network. We're a crime fighting collective. It's the Bat Pod. What the blue bacon? We now return to the Transformers. It is now time for Transformers Life, where John discusses a particular Transformer featured in today's issue. Sure, world, John. Take it away. Well, this one's for Pat. I'm going to do Mirage, as I remember him asking questions about Mirage in the first episode. And since I always think of the welfare of my co-hosts, I this one's for that. you. Thank you. Mirage, Agents is Autobot. His function is spy. And his motto is, who and what I am, I hide from the enemy. Mirage is not thrilled with being an Autobot freedom fighter. He prefers hunting Turbo Foxes and Cybertron with his high-priced friends. Effective fighter, more effective intelligence gatherer, his electro-disruptor can cast illusions, altering his physical placement and appearance for up to six minutes. Expert marksman with armor-piercing rocket dart hunting rifle. Unsure of Autobot cause, can't be fully trusted. That's what you get if you read his card. As we remember, these stats are between 1 and 10. His strength is a 6, his intelligence is a 9, Speed is a 7, his endurance is a 5, his rank is a 7, which is pretty a high rank for a spy. So the Autobots are pretty hard up for leadership, I think. Uh, his courage is 5, that maps to how he was behaving in this one. His firepower is 6, and his skill is 10. Now Mirage's toy and in the Generation 1 depictions transforms into a Formula 1 race car complete with real-world ad decals, one of which is for a European cigarette company. If you like Mirage, I hope you soaked him up here because this is pretty much all he does. His whole story arc is contained in these four issues. He, he pops in the background in other uh, comics, but that's about it. He was designed, according to the card, to be like an old money, blue-blooded, snobby person who really doesn't want to be in the in the war. Turbo Foxes are, are something that actually come, come back into play over and over again throughout various continuities. But they were created for the back of Mirage's card, so... Impress your friends with that trivia. <laughs> in the cartoon, he does not act in any way like he is described here. And he also appears in one of the Michael Bay movies, but nobody cares. Yes, Michael Bay, boo, Michael Bay. Yes. But in the cartoon, he talks like Dean Martin and can turn invisible. And as I said, does not act in any way as described above. I love the effect that mm -hmm. they did. Like they would put like the like almost like big energon cube and he would disappear. Yeah, yeah, it was neat. I had Mirage as a toy, and so I was always a little put off by the fact that he turned invisible rather than just appeared to be somewhere different. But that's Mirage, an Autobot that is truly, dare I say it, more than meets the eye. Well, you, well, you did. You did. I mean, you were you were daring it, and then you just did it. Well, now I know a little bit more about Mirage. Thank you. You're welcome, Pat. I always wanted to know more about him. What will you dream about know. now? Hmm, a mirage, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> 
now it's time for some social media likes and shares where we heap praises upon the audience for listening to us. We really appreciate all the love and attention we get from the show that we don't get in real life. That is so true. So true. <laughs> so let's go ahead and get to some likes and shares. And man, we got a bunch of them from episode three. So we really appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Indeed. Let's go ahead and start off with Aaron Head Moss. Adnane or Adnane. Adnane, I ruined that, but I appreciate you stopping by. Next up is Al Sedano. We keep leaving our wallet with you. Then we got Austin Kuykendall. After that is Bo S. Sutton. Then we have Bill Bear. Bradford William. Charles Attuck. Yes, at BTO and Balance. Down the highway. I never get to do that. That's why we save it for this one. <laughs> Clinton Robinson, Cuckoo-Cachoo. Clinton Robinson podcast, Coffee and Comics. Next up is Darth Ron. That was just a crazy old man, Dave Collins. David Mattioli. Thanks, oh. David. Next up is my mom. Yay! Thank you, mom. Deborah Aww. Smith. Thanks, mom. Thank you, Mrs. Dark Web. <laughs> Derek William Crab, Dr. G from Pulp to Pixel. Thanks, Dr. G. Next up is Ernie. Thanks, Ernie. Oh, and I get this one again. Flavio Alves Arojo. Arojo. That is a lot of syllables and not a lot of letters. <laughs> Arojo. Aaron Moss trying to pad his mentions by liking us also as G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Thanks, Aaron, but we yeah. see what you're doing. Yeah, everyone counsel. Yes, that's Next up, Gene Hendricks. Green Lantern HG. Al Jordan. Paul Heeks. Maggie and I are going to be on Paul's show. DCOCD pretty soon. Cool. Nice. Huey C. Comics. Thanks, Dave. Ivan A. Martin. Ivan Shutley. J. David Weeder. I want to call somebody with a J name. I would. I can't think of anybody better than Jason Albright. He's, he's going to be on our show. <laughs> <laughs> Javier, I'm listening to Christmas music all day long. Thanks, Javier. All year long, even. Oh, all year long. Sorry. I'm listening to Christmas, Christmas music all year long. Javier Rivera. Jeff Boone. Jeffrey Fonzo. Jim Jarman. Joe Thomas. No relation to Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, or maybe he is. We'll never no, know. Joe, Joe Thomas is uh, also known as Joe November, who does uh, our theme music. He's a musical oh. genius. Joe, musical genius. Oh, cool guy. Yes. Julie Jansen. Hey, Julie. KB likes comics. Thank you, KB, and your liking of comics. I hope you like the ones we're talking about. Ken Solo, artist extraordinaire. Thanks, Ken. Laurel Mountainflower One. Thanks, Laurel. M. Anthony Gerardo. Rico. Wow. Maggie Schaefer Hames. Marlon Blue Levert. Matt Anderson. Hi, Matt. Michael Allen Carlisle. Thanks, Mike. Michael Powell. Mike Smith. Next up is MOS 6502. Nicholas Prom. Nightstar 357. Hi, Nightstar 357. Thanks for coming by. Next up is Patrick R. Carey. Reggie Hancock. Rick Heinichen. Ross Michaud. Ross. Ruth. Sutherland. Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast. I like those guys. Siskoid. Thanks, Siskoid. Hey, thanks for coming by, Siskoid. Steve Lada. 
Lad Lada Ladha Ladha Steve Lada the voice of Mephisto and the new promo for Married with Comics that you'll hear soon Tim Price Timmy Next up is Transformers AD Oh cool it's after Optimus death right <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's not an issue till he dies I swear <laughs> Trey Teft. Wow, yes. getting good at these names. Warlord Worlds. Xenozoic Xenophiles. What a cool name. We're going to end it with Zach Ride Sally Ride. We'll take uh, comments from our listeners. I'm going to take one from Ivan Chudley. Ivan says, wow, another great show. Loving this series of books. Delvin's story breakdown is great. You can tell he loves what he's doing. Sure can. Coming from a small fish village in the UK, we never had this run, so this is great for me. Jonathan's info is fantastic. Pat is always a win. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's why I'm reading this one. It's not because the other guy's <laughs> stuff. Nah. You say, yeah, Ivan. It's, yeah, it's because <laughs> for me. Yeah, name was for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. These two, these two make the show, not me. I'm just here for the ride. Oh, Pat, no one would tune in if uh, it wasn't well, for you. Uh, we'll see. I appreciate that, though. But, and Pat is always a win, and it's nice to see Ryan. Yeah, it was great to have Ryan on the last episode. Re- no. It really was. Ryan did such a great job. It was. Hope we can have him yeah, back sometime. I'm sure we can. Unpacking the power of power pack said, hey, for your information, not all of us in Oregon die from dysentery. And all of our mechanics have chemical engineering degrees. Truth. Mm. Mm. And he also pointed out to Pat that we need to work on how you pronounce Oregon. And in Pat's defense, I remember this led to an entire conversation. In Wisconsin, there is a smaller town outside of Madison, which is spelled and pronounced Oregon. And if you think that's, you should hear how we pronounce New Berlin. Oh, wait, you just did. New Berlin, that's right. Meanwhile, we can crank out a Musquanago, an Eau Claire, and a Conmawak without, you know, batting an eye. Uh And we also have a spread eagle. So our state's strange. It's cold here. (laughs) What's wrong with how Uh, it's Oregon? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, for starters, it's wrong. <laughs> Oregon. There are three syllables. Oregon. Oregon is what you Oregon. pray in church. <laughs> no. That, that's an organ, which has two syllables, not Oregon. My organs are uh, inside me. I'm moving on. I'm, I'm getting annoyed. So the next comment is from Paul Heeks, who said, so you'll be talking about Transformers every episode. No. <laughs> it, it, it's a pretty good possibility on Transformers Chronicles that, you know, we're going to mention Transformers maybe once or twice every episode. So hopefully that's something that you want. Neil Daly responded or commented with a link to the YouTube video for The Touch, as is his way. Uh, but did you watch that? It was the Boogie Nights. Oh, yes. Yes, I did watch that one. That was that one yeah. was something. Gents, <laughs> yeah. any other comments? Michael Powell remembers it well. Aaron Moss couldn't wait to listen. Reggie Hancock said yes. Ivan Chudley, who didn't who hadn't said enough earlier with his uh, kissing up the pat, also had to say, if you build it, they will come. Looking forward to this one. Spidey and Transformers is always a win. Well, I mean, he didn't just kiss up the pat; he kissed up the me too. So That's I enjoyed true. it as well. Oh, and me too. So yeah. So that, let that be a lesson. You kiss up to us. We'll read you know two of your things. Yes, all the comments. You don't need Absolutely. to kiss up to me. I don't need that kind of stuff. He's lying. He does. It's impossible if you don't, people. <laughs> That's it for this episode of Transformers Chronicles. If you'd like to hear more from us, 
The Long Box Crusade is in a lot of places. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and most podcatchers. Uh, our website is www.longboxcrusade.com. You can find us on Twitter at Longbox Crusade and Facebook and Instagram, Longbox Crusade. John, why don't you tell us about your podcast and where you can be found on the interweb? I do a podcast with my wife called Married with Comics. You can find us by pointing your podcatchers to that term. We're on Facebook or Twitter. Do a search for Married with Comics. You'll find us. Maggie and I are also going to be doing a spin-off podcast, both from that and this. It is tentatively being called Transformers Chronicles the IDW Years. So stay tuned here and at Married with Comics for more information about that and when it will debut. What about you, Pat? Where can we find you? Well, Jonathan, I'm glad you asked. I can be found on the Twitter and the Instagram at Christatos01. Delvin, where can they find you? I can be found on Twitter at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y-1977. So that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next time. And remember, freedom is the right, all sentient beings, till all are one. Till all are one. Till all are one. Yes, till all are one. I read better. I still don't. You got the touch. You got the power. and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended and it is for entertainment purposes only. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. You know just what it takes, you're a fighter.